Hello there, citizens. I am the terror that flaps in the night. I am the floaty that will not flush no matter how many times you try in the toilet bowl of crime. I am Darkwing Duck. Telling you, please, talk hard and enjoy the mindgasm. <laughs> Whatever the heck that means. After all, you are watching Intellectual Podcast with your ears. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Intellectual Podcast. I'm your host, David S. Dawson. This is episode number 204. And today we're going to sit down with actor, writer, and producer Jeff Zook. Uh, Jeff was in our 48-hour film this year, Convolution. And uh, he's been a good friend of Rich Varvils for a long time. And uh, we, uh, we are working together on a project called Forever My Love. My sister Teresa and I are co-directing it. It's a screenplay that Jeff brought to us uh, back in May. And we've been working on it uh, ever since. And we are going to be shooting this weekend, actually. And uh, we're super excited to get this project off the ground and and running full speed ahead. Um, Working with Jeff has been a wonderful experience. He's he's very collaborative and been very open to the process of uh, rewrites on the script. Uh, We've been working with our actors. We're we're honored to be working with Randy Davison and Angela Cavallaro uh, on this film. And both of them have brought a lot to the rehearsals. And what they've brought to the rehearsals is translated into revisions in the script. And uh, through this collaborative process between directors, writer, and actors, um, I think we've really come to a very special, um, beautiful film that uh, Teresa and I are, are very excited to get to direct this weekend. And uh, we've taken a lot of time getting to the point of actually shooting and uh, looking forward to to doing a project in a manner that we've been really wanting to do it for a while, which is really taking some time, uh, thinking through not just locations and what camera we're going to shoot on, but how we're going to shoot it, uh, where, you know, how the locations tie into the story, how the costuming ties into the story, how the, you know, every little detail um, has been uh, poured over and thought through. And uh, I think we're going to have something really special when all is said and done. So super excited to get started on Forever My Love this weekend and really, really glad that Jeff Zook brought this project to Intellectual Entertainment to help him get produced. Uh, I know he's got another project, Sympathy for the Devil, that he's working on with Rich Varville at RSVP, and uh, I'm sure that's going to be an incredibly cool project as well. Um, That one's a horror film, and I know that uh, Jeff and and Rich are bringing a considerable amount of art direction and thought to that project as well, so very cool. Um, This chat with Jeff is a lot of fun. we have a good time. We talk a little bit about Forever My Love and the process. Um, this episode was actually recorded a few weeks back before we got to our final rehearsal and kind of came across some of our final discoveries in the pre-production process leading into production. Um, so, you know, some things have developed even since this discussion, but uh, but no, it's, it's a great chat with Jeff and I hope you'll enjoy it as much as I had uh, having it with him. And... Um, I believe Whitney's in this conversation as well. Oh man, everything gets all blurred over time, right? (laughs) But at any rate, um, you know, if you're joining us for the first time, thank you for joining us. Welcome to the show. If you're a regular listener and you've uh, just been listening to us only on our website at theintellectual.com, thank you for doing that. I'd like to encourage all of you new listeners and old listeners alike to... Subscribe to the show on iTunes or iHeartRadio or the Google Play Music app. Uh, If you subscribe, uh, it helps us in our rankings and our ratings on those services, but also makes it a lot easier for you to consume the podcast as the episodes come out because those apps allow you to listen and then pause and come back later and it'll pick up right where you left off 
And in the case of things like iTunes and iHeartRadio, it remembers from your browser to your desktop to your phone. It's just a a better way to listen to podcasts. So if you haven't already, please go to iTunes, iHeartRadio, or Google Play Music, and be sure to subscribe to The Intellectual. And while you're there, uh, drop us a review. We always appreciate that as well. And now, let's get into it. It's the 204th episode of The Intellectual Podcast with Jeff Souk. Talk hard and enjoy the mindgasm. The Intellectual Podcast starts now. So now if I, got a, if I get homeless, I got a friend to turn to. Yeah, basically. <laughs> That's good. Parents and you always, know what? Our parents always did too. Like our parents stick in our friends all the time. I'm potty trained and only get fleas in the summertime. Perfect. <laughs> hey, Jeff, microphones work better if they're in front of your face. Oh, I didn't know we were live. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, we're recording now. <laughs> you can't leave. Yep. You can't leave. Where am I gonna? Where am I gonna pull my humor from? It's all about you. Damn it! <laughs> I I have got no briefing on this or anything. Is we just fly by the seat of our pants yep. or what? Because I've never done flying by pants. Well, oh, flying in your pants. <laughs> we just sit here and chat. So, how you doing, Jeff? Just sit there and chat. How you doing, David Dawson? Have you guys ever worked together before? Uh, once. Yeah. On. Um, I mean, outside of convolution, had you guys no, ever worked? No, oh, yeah. no, I didn't even uh, meet Whitney until that forty-eight. Yeah, oh, that's cool. Yeah, bringing people together. Yep. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, uh, the podcast is simple. We just sit here and talk and talk about whatever. Talk about you mostly. <laughs> you okay, know. well, occasionally that's going to be hard because I don't like to talk about. Occasionally, myself. I'll interject and talk about myself, and then Whitney will be like, "This is about the guest. <laughs> <laughs> you shut Focus. up." Focus. <laughs> well, I've seen your podcast before, and you both are great hosts, so I don't think I'm going to have to worry about it too Aww, much. Thanks, yeah. Jeff. Thanks. Um, so uh, we're working on a project together right now. Mm, yes, we are. Yeah, you want to tell everybody? We're trying to get this plane off the ground, but we're having issues with dates. Seems like I've always had issues with dates in my life. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a I, whole nother topic. I tell people a lot that one of the hardest things of making a movie is just scheduling all the people involved. It is. To be at the same place at the same time. It's like, try try planning a party and how many people can't come, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's all like having a band, you know? You try to get five to, five guys together for rehearsal and someone's always got something going on. Right. It's usually a baby or a wife or... Or just they're drunk. That's why I don't do any of those things. <laughs> you just have a one-man band and you eliminate all those issues. Well, that would be the some best of those thing, issues. Yeah. <laughs> an acoustic guitar out on the street with an open case. <laughs> okay, how about this? Before we get into the project we're working on, um, why don't you just tell us a little bit about you? Like, how how did you get into acting and, and how have you transitioned into writing? We'll, wow, okay. We'll work um, that journey. How's that My sound? journey. Well, let's... Go way, way back. I'm not going to say how far back. I'm going to give my age away. But um, no, back. <laughs> you know, when I was a little kid, I used to. Well, you know, when you're a little kid, you grow up with um, Sesame Street and all those good things, the electric company. And I was always into the little puppets. So my parents used to get me, you know, the little hand puppets. And. I didn't really have anyone to hang around with, so I'd make these little puppet shows Mm -hmm. in my bedroom and call the parents up, you know, come and watch my puppet show. And I'd act like the fool for, you know, however long. And I was, you know, five or six years old at the time. Um, And when I got into elementary school, I got a chance to be in my first play. You know, the school wanted to do a holiday play. And I think I was in, I was in fourth or fifth grade, something like that. I was eight years old. What's that put you at? What grade? Eight years old. Eight years old. Second grade? Uh, yeah. Second, second grade. grade. So maybe it was second grade. Um, maybe early third grade. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, so <laughs> they were doing this. They wanted to do this school production of Babes in Toyland. And I wanted to be in the play. Um I think I wanted to be um, the main the main guy with the girl that, you know, run around on all the adventures or whatever, meet the toy maker. I ended up getting the part of the toy maker. <laughs> so I'm this little eight-year-old that's, you know, sitting on this throne, cranking out toys on a machine while these, you know, with these other two characters. And 
that's what did it for me right there as far as getting into <laughs> acting because I got such, I don't know, a light, uh, a light switch turned on in me and I became um, a lot more outgoing, you know, in front of people because at the time I'm my only experience was, you know, behind a refrigerator box with a couple of socks on my hand you know, <laughs> performing for my parents. So... Yeah, when when I did that and I got to play the toy maker, which was a fairly decent sized role for an eight year old, um, I caught that bug of just all the people cheering me on and everything. Yeah. So I continued um, doing little plays until I got into uh, high school. And when I got into high school, I took all my electives in high school as drama. So you know, back in my day, we would get three or four electives per semester. You know, they don't give it that to kids nowadays. Um, And I would literally take three or four classes of drama. That's awesome. All my electives. They didn't want to at first. (laughs) And I told them why I don't want to take anything. And I did have to give up one and I took a ceramics class. Um, But because there was two drama teachers we got someone weed whacking. Yeah, my neighbor's weed whacking. <laughs> ne- nobody ever does that in this neighborhood till the day we decide to podcast. And all of, of course. Sudden, like, That's how it weed is. Whacker going next, next thing you know, there'll be a crime. Baby. There's not weeds. There's barely even grass. I mean, it's California. <laughs> yeah, a lot of yellow yards. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so, yeah, anyway. I, I, um, a giant dog peeing all over San Diego. <laughs> all the lawns God. are yellow. <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> Where was I? You were, we were saying you had to take a ceramics class. Took a ceramics class. Oh, yeah. so anyway, so yeah, I, I got those electives, and the reason they would let me take three classes of drama were because two of the classes were different teachers, so I could take this one teacher's drama class. And then another period, take the other teacher's drama class. And then the way I got into the, the other one is. At the last period of the day, I believe was seventh seventh period for us, they offered a theater class, <laughs> which was drama. Mm-hmm. So I was able to find the loopholes and be able to pull off, you know, having three classes of drama. So being able to do that, I got into, you know, all the um, – I got in good with the teachers and all the rest of the people that worked in the theater at the school. And I was in just about every single play from freshman to sophomore year at uh, El Camino High School right wow. here in Oceanside. Wow. So that's really where I got into it. And then, you know, once you get out of high school, kind of life throws you a curveball. Um, and I was going to go to film school. And I went up and checked out a film school in um, Paramount. And long story short, my mom talked me out of going up to the to the film school and parents have a really good knack of talking us out of doing things yeah and i don't understand why she did it because she knew you know since i was a young child that i loved you know acting and i also got you know played instruments too so i i just loved performing all around you know i've done it with the music and the acting and everything but so i wanted to go to this film school and it was up in paramount and she took me up there and we checked it out and it was all the behind the scenes you know, running the camera, you know, uh, and your project was always to create a film, you know, and they showed, they had all the top of the line equipment and they taught you back then the black box, which mm-hmm. was like the up and coming thing for film at the time. So they were like, well, in this school, you can learn the black box and you'll be able to get a job. No problem out in the industry. So I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to go and do this. And then back then also minimum wage was $3.25. So I was making $3.25 coming out of high school. And I wanted to go to film school. And my mom, we went and saw it, and I was like, yes, I want this. I want to go, and I was going to figure everything out. And my mom goes, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you think about that? But if you don't want to do it, you can come work for the company that I work for, which was an architectural metal company, and they'll start you off at $9 an hour. Ooh. Fuck film school. I'm making nine bucks an hour. You know, so that's what I did. I I basically pushed my dream aside because I saw a path of money. When you're 18 years old and all of a sudden you're making $6 an hour more than anyone else and you're going, shit, with $9 an hour, I can move out of my mom's house tomorrow. Right. You know, and get a place to rent. Because back then, rent was... um, 
the roommate I had when I was 19 years old, we paid $510 for a two-bedroom apartment. Five ten sounds awesome. <laughs> can't even pay my water bill for that yeah. right now. You, you know, so, you can't rent a room in somebody else's house for that now. Yeah. So, needless to say, that went bye bye, and I got really heavy into music because I could work a regular job and have a band. Right. You know, and I had to be performing one way or another. Well, after about probably ten years, I, I think I was probably in my early thirties um, after high school. So. Maybe a little more than 10 years, 12, 13 years. I, um, you know, when you deal with musicians, it's a pain in the ass. <laughs> and trying to get rehearsals and do shows and flaky guys and, you know, trying to make it big when you're that young as a rock star <clears throat> doesn't work. Well, it's a, it's a weird thing, like the musicians. Like a lot of them are musicians because they, they, they got that damn the man mentality. You know? Exactly. Like, I'm an artist, man. When everything happens, it happens. Exactly. <laughs> so they just can't be organized. They just can't be organized about anything. Right. And the ones who get organized and succeed, oh, man, they sold out. <laughs> yes. Totally. Right? It's like there's no yep. winning in music. So what uh, What instruments do you play? Uh, bass guitar. Nice. And you said that you played that from the time you were pretty young? Well, when I was younger, I started off like most kids do when their parents push them. And I started, I tried piano, I tried violin, I tried trumpet, saxophone, even tried drums, was absolutely horrible at drums. Although I would love to be a drummer. Mm -hmm. Drummers are just so cool and they get All to beat on crap. All I wanted to crap. be was a drummer growing up, right? as far as music went. <laughs> yeah, but so I, I became a bass player because it had the least amount of strings. <laughs> um, and it was easy. I only had to play one of them at one time. So that's like my speed. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then eighties hair metal came around when I was 20 years old. And I was like, now bass just got really easy because all you gotta do is ride the D string for as long as the song is. And maybe jump up to E a couple of times and then back down to D. And you know, it's all about shout at the devil, you know, and, easiest thing in the world well except for dealing with you know four or five other narcissistic narcissistic neurotic guys <laughs> so after a while i just got, i got tired of relying on other people to do stuff so in my early 30s i think around 32 or something i decided you know what? i'm gonna get back into acting so that's when i uh i looked for um any, for some theater posts and stuff. Back then, mm -hmm. it was like there was a Slam magazine or something. Now it's, you know, and then there was the reader that still exists. But right. you could find audition things for, for stage plays. Um, and I found out that right here in Oceanside at the Sunshine Theater, um, my acting coach teacher from El Camino High School was doing a play called The Dining Room down there. Really? So I walked in. His name was uh, Marvin Reed, uh, one of the coolest guys in the world. But I walked in there, and he instantly knew how, who I was. You know, we're talking 14, 15 years later, you know. And he's like, did you come? He's like, Mr. Z Jeff, did you come here to audition for my play? You know, he always talked with that very proper, you know, kind of <laughs> like the dude from, you know, inside the studio. Oh, um, that guy, very, very, you know, articulate and, you know, she makes a proper cup of coffee in a copper coffee pot, that kind of guy. <laughs> so I walked in and I go, yeah, I go, actually, I saw your name for the cast or for the audition. So I decided to come in here and give it a shot. And he goes, you're in. No problem. Don't even have to audition. He goes, Easiest audition ever. Just yeah. walk in the door. Because <laughs> I had done so many plays with him. So we did the dining room. And if you know the dining room, it's a series of... Um, different little stories with three men and three women. And you play all the different characters of each different story. So one minute you might be a 12-year-old child, the next minute you're an 80-year-old man, and then anything in between. So that went off without a hitch, and and it, it lit that back up in me. Right. So after doing that, I realized how much public theater is – or um community theater is the amount of time that it takes for the amount that you get to perform. I think we spent three to four months rehearsing for two wow. weekends it's really for six time. shows. 
Yeah, so it's a lot of time and a lot of effort. And, you know, I had a young daughter at the time. She was very young. So I was like, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to look into the film side of it because that's what I wanted to get into anyway. Mm -hmm. Even though I wanted to be behind the camera, you know, I liked being in front of the camera. Oh, I like being in front of people. But I knew being in front of a camera was quite different. So I went to the Actors Workshop in San Diego. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you know Gregory Watkins? I don't, but I'm familiar yeah, he, with Yeah, he owns workshop. the Actors Workshop. I've noticed that some of the festival stuff in the 48, he's a sponsor on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went down there, and I spent probably uh, you know a couple years um, uh, in their classes. And then I did some um, – that's where I got my agent, um, Elegance, Pam Panky. I got her from doing a showcase down there. And then that's kind of what started me off in the, the film stuff um, – but with having an agent, I stayed out of the, the community stuff. I was doing everything that was, you know, television, network-based, you know, stuff for Saquon Casino and Arrowhead Water and, you know, other little independent films up in L.A. Most of my stuff was done up in L.A. Right. So I never got into, you know, the, the independent filmmaker like yourself or Rich Varville or Mark Viscara and all those guys. Um, I never got a chance to get into that, and it wasn't until um, about three years ago. It was when Rich did Thirst for Justice on the 48 Hour, Rich right. Varville. Right. Um, Rich Varville and I started music together, so I, we've known each other for the better part of 30-something years. Um, and he, he called me up, and he said, hey, I'm going to start making films, bro. He goes, we always talked about doing that when we were doing music. He goes, and you act. Uh, why don't you come down here and, you know— I'll introduce you to the community and, and, uh, you know, I'll put you in my 48. I'm going to do it. It was his first 48. He goes, I'll put you in the 48. He goes, you do a lot of writing and we've written together so we can write some stuff together and it'll be like what we always wanted to do, you know? And Rich was just starting out and. Yeah. He had been on the podcast like just before that 48. Did he? Yeah. Yeah, because he was fairly new to everything too. So this was just about what, like three years ago at this point? Like three years ago. Two and a half years ago, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, three, three and a half years ago. And he had just started. He was maybe about a year into it, but he was just doing music videos for bands. It was when he and I stopped doing music stuff together and I concentrated up there. He concentrated down here on making music videos for his friends that were in bands or for his own band. Right. You know, because. Rich and I were always under the assumption, under the impression that if you do it yourself, it's going to get done quicker and you don't have to pay the man. You don't have to give anybody any money. You'll make it, you'll record it, you'll distribute it, you'll do all that stuff yourself. Man after my own heart. (laughs) So he had his painting business and he just took all his painting business money and dumped it into buying the best recording gear, the best filming gear, the best editing gear. Yeah, he's got really nice And And... And studying stuff. Mm-hmm. Rich has always studied things. You know, I mean, he won't do anything without like looking into every avenue of it and reading on it and teaching himself, which is which is admirable because I I'm too ADD. I lose track in that. <laughs> if, if I can't watch a video of, of it, I can't learn it. You know, I got to see hands on. So yeah, so he brought me down here to San Diego, and you were the first person he introduced me to that night that I met you at um, the photographic museum down there do you remember that it was um it was when we went to the screening for 38 or for uh thirst for justice oh yeah yeah and i met you and Kristen there for the first time okay and um that was my first night i went out to actually meet people <laughs> and that was three years ago and he was like he was like yeah so you know Dave, this is david dawson and this is Kristen naomi and i think i met um jody that night too yeah i'm sure um and a couple other people but he, he goes, you got to get out here and network with these people and so on and so forth. And I didn't do too much of the networking, but I did go to a couple things where I met a couple key people. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it was part of it was Rich giving me the introduction with being in Thirst for Justice, right. the introduction to people actually knowing who I was. And then I was able to uh, – Mark Allen was a big uh, launching platform for me because he and I became – you know, pretty good friends on Thirst for Justice. So him and I have always stayed in contact and helped each other out with different things. Yeah, he's so he's good turned. People, me, yeah, he's a real good guy. Yeah, he's turned me on to projects, and then um, 
Rich and I decided also, you know, because I told him, I said, well, you know, I'm picky and I don't want to just work with anybody and I don't want to just do any film. You know, I don't want to, for starters, I don't have that much time to do that. And I want to do stuff. I don't want everyone to go. And if you're listening, Randy, this is not bashing you because I love you to death. You know, I do. But Randy's fucking in everything, man. You know, and (laughs) granted, Randy is a talented, talented actor. You know, I, I love Randy and he's he's in our film. Part of the reason he's as talented as he is is because he isn't fucking everything. He's because he is constantly working everything. on his craft and constantly honing that that talent. Right. Um, but yeah, there is a certain point where it's just like, really, another movie? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, Randy's also got the time. He dedicates yeah. all his time to that. You know, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, sometimes you know, I couldn't do that. I wish I could. I wish I could not have to pay bills and I can go spend the time to actually get some paying gigs. But um, so I have to be picky about what I what I do. And I've done a couple turds. I've learned some some of the people not to work with. You know, Um, I've known what to look for in a script. Um, Well, I think you have to do the turds periodically. You do. Because, you know, that's that's how you learn. Yeah, you got to You got to. You gotta take risks. You gotta fail every once in a while, and I agree. And I you agree. You learn the lessons from it, and you improve because of it. Yeah. Absolutely. Have you found that working on you know some really excellent scripts, or even some of the turd scripts, has that uh, helped you in your writing? Yeah, your mom's out there, Kale. Um, it's my nephew leaving. Bye, buddy. Bye. <laughs> I think honestly, um, Working with directors that I've wanted to work with has it's been what's helped me with my writing and how I need to see us how I need to understand what a what a director is capable of doing so that when I write I don't write something that he's gonna go, eh, we can't do that. You know, this can't be like that. Like David pointed out a couple issues. You know, I still run across things like, you know, I originally wanted to write a scene with the ocean. And I found out that, you know, there are some some difficulties in doing certain things. You know, I've learned a lot from David. I've learned a lot from Rich Varville. And all these guys are, are great directors in their right, but they all have different styles and different feels, which give them their originality. And that's what I like. I mean, you know, I wanted to work with David for a long time after I saw, you know, after I met David, it's one thing to meet him. But then when I see some of his work and what he's done, I'm like, yeah, I want to work with that guy. And it wasn't originally to, um, to do a, to write something and work with him behind the camera, but I wanted to be in one of David's films. Well, I haven't gone out of my way to put myself out in this community either. You know, I've only done a handful of films with a handful of directors around here, but with the exception of one, and I won't even name it, I'm proud of everything I've done. Mm-hmm. Some of them, the quality isn't that great, but the story's good, the shooting, the angles were good. Um, you know, one of the ones that I'm really happy about, you know, just because of the way the story was told was um, a student film, you know, and that got into the, uh, you know, it got um, nominated for one of the best in the, the last 48. Um, you know, I've got to do some stuff with Rich. But uh, as I've taken on some of these roles and learned that I'm only going for the stuff that, that I really want to put effort into and the people that I want to work with, I, I've learned also with, with actors. You know, there are certain actors I don't want to ever work with again. But then there's I've been lucky too to get a chance to work with Randy Davidson and to work with you, Whitney. I mean, uh-huh. I've seen some of the stuff you've done. I don't remember the name of it where you're like all like the swamp girl or whatever. But <laughs> that was such a cool film. And that was a student film, right? Uh because you had didn't you work with Kirby Crow on that? I did. I did a film with Kirby Crow. Really? And that's what made me watch that film is I was like Okay, well, I just worked with Whitney on Convolution, and I've worked with Kirby, and I love Kirby. She's great. She's so professional, and she has an yes, all-girl team, and that girl, her girl team kicks ass. Mm-hmm. They get shit done, you know? So, uh, yeah, I watched it, and I was like, you know, I was like, God, you know, Whitney's great. And I was like, so 
getting the opportunity to work with, you know, the likes of Whitney and Mark Allen and Larry Poole and, and um, Steve Froelich and Chris Naomi, all these people. And then getting to work with the crews like yourself and Mike Peterson and James Robb. And, and I can go down the list, Mark Vascara. And, you know, it's I've had a lot of luck. Mm-hmm. But I've also kept myself kind of a little bit on the down low. So a lot of people still don't know too much about me. And that's okay. I'm not looking for, you know, to be some local hero here in San Diego. I just want to do something that's good. And so as I've had all that time open up for me, I've decided that, you know, I'm going to write some stuff. So I wrote a short with Rich Varville um, called Life or Death. And we had a lot of people in it. Um, you know, uh, Natalie Lauer was in it, Randy Davidson, um, Mike Brunell. Um, here, let me pick up these other names I keep dropping. <laughs> um, and Rich, yeah. <laughs> that was one of the first uh, serious shorts Rich wanted to take on. And I think he got a little overwhelmed on it because I wrote this script that was very gritty. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to take it to the next level with um, all so, these. Sounds re- like Rich. <laughs> with all these really cool things with car stuff. And, and so this script ended up getting bigger and it got to the point of where it was going to end up being about a 25 minute short. And Rich is very adamant about getting into festivals. Right. And he wants to keep his films at 12 minutes or less. Um, and that's, you know, that's a good idea. I mean, there are film festivals you can get in with longer films but yeah he's right i mean the shorter the better usually yeah i mean the you thing know. is if you're gonna make a 20 minute short or a 30 minute short like it needs to be really good yeah <laughs> yeah i i have to agree with that yeah. and this There's one no, no point in doing it if you're gonna right do an adequate job like if you're gonna do a longer short you need to really make sure that you're knocking it out of yeah. the park. and i think he could have done it with this film i think it was just a little bit too early Mm-hmm. In in Rich's career, I think now at this point, um, he would eventually probably want to you know bring that one back to life and possibly do something with it. Right. Um, he is going to do a short with me, um, and it's not it's it's going to be a horror short, but it's still going to be I want to keep it around the the under thirty mark because a lot of horror festivals, as long as it's under thirty, you can do it. I mean, uh, Hush, which is really popular right yeah. now. Well, the more niche your your potential festival is i think the better off you are in terms of trying to get a get a longer film in because mm-hmm. if a film festival specifically horror that means they're only getting horror submissions right. which means they're not getting inundated with as many submissions as a general Correct. film festival does so yes. it's easier to fill a 30 minute slot right with a 30 minute film because you don't feel like you're turning away as, yeah. a, as a festival director you don't feel like you're turning away a half dozen other shorts to right. show this one longer piece. Right. Um, because you just don't have the same volume of submissions. Yeah. So, so it's smart if you're doing, you know, kind of a niche film. Right. That, that that's where you do a longer one. Yeah. You know, yeah. And it makes sense. Better. And, um, yeah, because a hush, hush, it runs at 24 minutes, but it hush draws, is amazing. It draws you in. It's, it's, it's so good. It's completely amazing. I mean, when I first, when I first saw, first watched it, and I was sitting in the theater watching it, I thought there was a major audio problem. We you know when the girl's walking out on the rock, and you just, hear just <laughs> um, and I was like, kind of just, I think for maybe the first probably four or five minutes of the film, I was just went like, what the hell? And then I got sucked into it, and I started like, you know, really understanding it. And then when when you get to that that tipping point in the film. You know that oh shit moment. Mm-hmm. It's um yeah I I love the film. I couldn't I couldn't get past. I wanted to see it again, but I was yeah. like okay, well I can't be running around up and down the freeway to all these different festivals <laughs> just to see Hush. Yeah. It'll be on Vimeo sooner or later. Well, that premiere for Hush was like a week a-, a week after the Film Awards two years ago, and uh, so I just won Best Director, and I was I was sitting up in the booth at the screening watching from up top. I didn't sit down in the general audience, mm-hmm. and. 
Michael Foster kept kind of wandering in and out. Like he couldn't sit still while it was screening, you know, <laughs> he's wandering in and out. But when it got to the end and I, I saw him, I was like, I, should I just give you my award right now? Cause I feel like a fraud. <laughs> like this is so good. You know? Yeah. Um, I was blown away by it. Yeah. No, know. it was, a, it was a great film. Yeah. I didn't know what to expect, but you know, that was one of the films that, I don't usually fall into the whole thing whenever I see someone popping all their stuff up on Facebook and going, oh, yeah, I got to run and see this. For some reason, and it might even just been his artwork for his advertisement, you know, mm-hmm. with the, it just, I was like, I, I got to see this. Yeah, they handled you know? the marketing of that yeah. film exceptionally well. Yeah, they did it real well. Yeah. And, you know, he's in a lot of those underground festivals, yeah. you know, Horrible Imaginings and these other ones and stuff. And it's got kind of a niche feel. I mean, it's more of a psychological thriller and not really a horror, but you know, yeah, it's well, that's a subgenre. Of yeah, horror, right. So, so is it, yeah, he, they've done a great job, and they've broken through into the regular festivals too. Because again, yeah, runtime doesn't matter if your film's just fucking excellent. Yeah, <laughs> you know? and it is a good one. So, I'm gonna ask Jeff, is, is that your usual genre? Like, do you write a lot of horror? Or? <laughs> this is funny. Um, I, you know, I'm into so many different things and I'm usually when I write stuff, it's because I'm inspired by something that's either going on in my life or happen in my life or from people watching, you know, um, horror in general. Yeah. I love horror movies. Um, and I, and as I was starting to say before we talked about hush, you know, this one that I'm writing that I'm going to do after the after forever my love with david is um is is going to be you know just this it's it's a horror movie but it's going to be kind of a twist on something and it's going to be longer running and you know i got a good crew that's going to work on it but that one i think that's just a story i wanted to tell it doesn't doesn't really mean anything to me where um the one that i approached david with when i was looking for a director and a team to shoot it because i didn't want to it, it was important to it was a an important enough story to me that I didn't want to screw it up. You know, I don't think I'm even close to that level of, you know, taking on the whole the whole salad and, you know, putting a film together. It's a very emotional piece. Yeah. And that one meant something to me. So, you know, I, I had written this story and then, you know, revamped it a couple times and then brought it to David and you know, wanted to see his reaction on it because, you know, it's meant to tell a message of, I, I, I can't really say too much. I don't <laughs> want to give it away, but the film is meant to tell a message and it's, you know, it's basically, to me, it's a film that's about the true understanding of what love is. Mm-hmm. And I always... And, and I, I'm guilty of this, especially being a man in the, the world of today, is um, we take a lot of things for granted, especially when it comes to um, – yeah, I'm going to get all mo- emotional about this shit. I'm such a weeping willow. Um, <laughs> just breathe, man. You'll get through it. Just breathe. Breathe deep. Don't cry in front of Whitney, my lord. Um, <laughs> no, uh all of us take take for granted a lot of things when it comes to our families or relationships um, or just people in general in the world. And you see it so much today in the amount of hate and pain and suffering in the world. And sometimes we need to be reminded of what's the most important thing, what's truly important out of life, you know. Um, I'm not an overly religious person or Christian at all, but I do know that if anything's true in the Bible, the one thing that's said throughout every page of the Bible is that you must love each other. And that's what people don't stop to realize because we're too busy with ourselves being selfish or the fast paced life of making a living, you know, and too many people live for their jobs, you know, or they put their jobs before their family Mm -hmm. or they 
they take their jobs too serious for their family. You know, they do something that they don't want to do or they're stuck in because they want to make things better for their family when they don't realize that, you know, what's most important is just being together. It doesn't matter if you live in a mansion with three cars in Beverly Hills or you live in a shack, you know. Yeah, out, you get lost keeping mountains. up with the Joneses. Exactly. To such a degree that you forget Perfect the analogy. important part of yeah. what your relationship with the people that you're providing right. for actually is. Well, and sometimes yeah. you just get so stuck in your daily grind that you don't even recognize that there is an option outside of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, if anything, that's all I hope for anyone to get out of this film. And I, I think, I think we got two really powerful actors that both both feel really challenged by these parts that they got to play. Um, Randy Davidson being, you know, our lead actor and Angela Cavallera is our actress. And both of them have had many questions and they have to do a little bit of soul searching because this one's, it's deep and you got to, you got to pull down deep to, to do it. And, you know, when I wrote the words, I wrote the words in that story from my heart. Um, some stuff had to be changed because I'm not a screenwriter. You know, I'm, I'm learning and I'm getting better. Well, and we did some, we've, we've done we something interesting with it too. Cause like, it's not so much that things need to be changed. We could have absolutely shot the script that you wrote. Like, no, but the, you um, came in and did a little doctoring and it's, it's, quite the story now it's very emotional but it wasn't just it wasn't that like i swept in and did a bunch of doctoring like we worked with the actors and david david hold on a minute haven't you told me many times just fucking own it bro okay just (laughs) own it no you know but no but i really i one of the things that i'm most pleased with with this process that we've been going through on forever my love is how collaborative it's been yes because it wasn't that i came in and did a rewrite It, it we we read the script together. We talked about it with the actors. You had already talked about it with the actors mm. quite a bit. And then Teresa and I came in and we ran a couple rehearsals. And in those rehearsals, we listened to the actors perform the piece. We talked to them about what they thought the meanings were behind the lines. And then, then we ran some theater games and basically we did like a therapy session with the two yeah, of them. It was where I played like the therapist and the two of them were talking about their relationship with each other and what went wrong, you know, and they created this lovely piece of backstory for their characters. Mm-hmm. And I turned to Jeff and I said, okay, now you got your writing assignment. Go, go revise <laughs> yeah. the script, you know, <laughs> incorporate this, uh-huh. you know, and he did a great job, like taking the things that they came up with and, and key moments of things that they argued about with each other and integrating that into the script. And then, and then I came in and just polished it a little bit. But I mean, it, it was such a fun collaboration yeah. between all of us, Teresa and myself and the two actors and you. Um, I'm, I'm just really proud of that whole process. Yeah. And, and it's something that I've been, wanting to do on on a screenplay for a long time we try to do a little bit of that with our 48s and whatnot because we open it up everybody's part of the writing process you know story creation and whatnot right. it's hard to do on that type of time scale though but that, yeah but it's such a rapid time scale but to have you know a three-hour rehearsal where we sit and and just basically play an improv game with the two lead actors in character yeah was a it was a special moment mm-hmm. and a and a chance you don't often get on a lot of films to to, to really workshop through the yeah. characters and 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 Randy discovered things in the midst of that yeah. workshopping. He's like, that's not the back backstory I created for this character. Why'd I say that? And I'm right. like, don't question it. Just go with it. You know, right. like, let's explore where you're going because your id is telling you that this is exactly. What's, you know? So when can audiences look forward to seeing this? Uh, we're going to be shooting it at the end of October. That's the schedule right now. Um, and my goal is to have it done by the end of the year so we can get it submitted for the film awards and film week. Yeah. I was hoping we could so. get it in for film week, but it- Aren't they saying there's a deadline of October 15th right now? No, no. The, mm-hmm. That's 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 the regular deadline then the then the late deadline is till like mid December. And then the super late deadline for Yeah, but <laughs> for anyone But we'll have really we'll lagging. have it done. We'll have it done in time for the final deadline. Yeah. I really look forward to people seeing this one and I think I think David is David was my first approach to when I watched Institute. Um is that how you say that word? Institute? Mm-hmm. Institute. Institute or Institute? 
Um, when when I watched that, um, that's that's sold me right there. I mean, you know, to to be able to shoot those certain angles and get those emotions. I mean, the actors did a great job. You know, uh, Shane and Kayla were were awesome when they had that little the little intimate scene. Um, but it's the way David captured the emotion. And this film needs that. I mean, Randy and Angela are going to have to be very strong and, and I think they will be. I mean, they're like David said, you know, they're pulling, they're pulling stuff out of themselves, you know, and, and they and might be pushing Angela to perform her character in a way she didn't envision exactly at all from the start. So exactly. And really, I don't think really and, interesting. And that was one of those things I think we were trying to explain to her. And I was hoping that, um, she would have got from the beginning and, and she is pulling it out of her. But, you know, when you have um, a family and kids, you can use that to draw off of. Um, and that's what I did with Randy and I had a big talk and he had, you know, <clears throat> we were talking about the same. You know, when I talked to him about this film, it was um, a year ago, almost a year ago from now um, about if he would be in it. And that, this was even before I approached you. And he was like, well, what's it about? And I said, well. My my uh, oldest son had just passed away, September 29th, so it's coming on a year. And Randy also went through, you know, Charlie Brown yeah. passing. And I told him, I said, Randy, this is just about how you and his sister had passed too, you know, prior to that. But I said, this is about you just pulling out all your emotions on – um you know, the loss of Charlie Brown and your sister or any other loved ones yeah, or it's very or much friends. about processing grief, which yeah, I, I go. So which I assume is why you came to me because <laughs> it seems to be, well, yeah, my, it's, it seems it, to it's be just, my go-to. <laughs> it's just pulling those emotions out and feeling that love and being true to yourself. And mm-hmm. that doesn't matter if Charlie Brown passed away or my son or anything. That's just an emotion that you can pull out to find you know, it, it's hard. It's especially hard for me to even think about it because, you know, growing up, I used to never really like, you know, feel the whole love side because, you know, you're a dude and you got to be strong and you got to do this for everyone and you got to try to, you know, push those feelings back or whatever. Boys don't cry. But, you know, when certain things happen in your life, especially as you get older, you know, you start to you start to feel those things more. And I feel those things a lot more, a lot deeper now than I ever did, I think, which you know, sometimes helps me in my acting too. Mm-hmm. Although I hardly ever get parts like that. It's always the asshole I get. But, um, so I told Randy, I, because Randy gets those too. He gets a lot of bad boy stuff. And I said, Randy, this is a chance for you to do something that I wouldn't even want to do. I go, I, I wouldn't attempt to do this the way I wrote it. I don't think I could ever do it. Yeah. You know? Um, and he, he was really excited to do it because he's always gets bad boy stuff. So I think for Randy, yeah, he's going to have to be very vulnerable when we, when we perform and, this. Yeah. And the hardest thing too, is he and Angela who just met each other. It's not like they know each other, like, you know, like a Randy and a Christian Chandler or something like that. I mean, they have to get into each other and, and, and be able to, you know, understand a love for each other. That's the hardest thing to do as an mm-hmm. actor is to look into someone else's face and fall in love with them. Yeah. At least for the amount of time you need to. Yeah. You know, and and sell it. I mean, it's a very hard thing to do. Yeah. And there's a lot of motion and a lot of questions and answers about why their relationship is the way it is. So, I think it's going to be a great story and I really look forward to to Dave and Teresa's vision on it because Everything they painted in my head just sounds like heaven. And that's what I want it to be. I want people to, in every, in, in every word of the film, I want somebody in the audience to be able to relate to that particular time. And I think we have so many elements of that in there that everybody in there is going to go, oh. You know, they're going to they be able to recognize themselves. They're going to yeah, recognize themselves moment. in it, yeah. or they're going to recognize someone else in their family in it, or they're going to have one of those moments and hopefully walk away, you know, going home and hugging their wife or their boyfriend or their girlfriend or their husband or their kids and just saying, you know, I love you. Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah. Well, I love you, Jeff Zook. <laughs>
Okay, that's it. No more on that film. I'm super. I'm super honored that you approached us to do it, and I'm 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 really looking forward to working on it with you. Um, and after we're done with it and we release it out to the public, let's have you back on. We can talk about what it was like to shoot it. That would be awesome. And working together on set and stuff. Yeah, yeah that would be awesome. Bring, little, bringing your vision to the screen, like I think, a little less cryptic because cool. right now we're keeping everything <laughs> under wraps. Yes. But uh, cool. Thanks for coming in and talking to us. Thank you, man. I um, appreciate it. Yeah. And I did not expect Whitney to be here and drive all the way up from San Diego. This is Aww. such a pleasant surprise. I thank you. Thank it's you. Awesome to see your pretty little face today. Oh, thank you. It was nice <laughs> and your pretty chatting little with face you. too, David. Oh, thanks. <laughs> but you're always so gorgeous, especially with your new live profile picture where you're doing your little oh. <laughs> doing the rock eyebrow i was bored i was sitting in a corporate event and totally bored i'm like all right let's do the eye thing he's like he's like best james bond hey, check me out so uh real quick is there is there any way that anybody who's interested in working with you on stuff or, or whatever how they can reach you is just facebook the best way to get a hold of you uh yeah facebook i have imdb you could uh jeff zook at imdb um the best thing is uh, just find me on Facebook. Cool. I, I don't know if I don't even know what my URL is. Just Jeff M Zook. There you go on That's Facebook. Jeff be. M Zook. Yeah, I, I think it'll probably pop up first. Um, or you know, here's my phone number seven six zero. Never mind. <laughs> Good night, folks. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, if you know anyone around town or talk to David, I mean, I I'm starting to know a lot of the people that everyone else knows. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. All right. You are known. And I look forward to working with many, many of you out there that I still haven't. So thanks for having me on, David. Thanks for coming, Whitney. Thank you. Thanks. You know the old saying, you never get a second chance to make a first impression? That phrase is incredibly true in our business. In entertainment, your first impression can mean everything. It can mean the difference of booking a job or not booking a job, having an audition or not having an audition. That first impression can get you in the door and make things happen. And for an actor, that first impression is the headshot. First and foremost, casting directors, producers, they're going to see your headshot and they're going to make decisions about whether or not you get seen based on that one image. So it's incredibly important to make that image an investment in your future. And to do that, you want to find the right photographer, someone who's going to work with you to craft the perfect image. The perfect first impression. And I suggest you check out portraitsbypeggy.com. Peggy's been doing photography since the 80s, and she really knows her stuff. And she wants to work with you to craft the perfect captured image. The one that captures the uniqueness of you and helps you book the job. She wants to work with you. She wants to really get into who you are, what sort of jobs you're trying to book, and help you get the perfect image. So check out PortraitsByPeggy.com and book your portfolio session today.